0: Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up.
1: Today's show focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFUV newsroom.
0: I'm Christina Lulich.
1: And I'm David Escobar.
0: And here are this week's feature stories.
1: Some venues in New York City are taking cuts from artist merchandise sales, making it harder for smaller artists to go on tour.
0: WFUV's Rosie Lens talks to musicians who have experienced this firsthand, as well as an organization who's working to solve the issue.
2: Every artist dreams of going on tour, but that dream can be extremely expensive, especially for smaller artists. They're spending money on the place to perform, the equipment, the travel, and even the merchandise they're going to sell. But all the money fans spend on a t-shirt or a tote bag might not be making it back to the artist. That's because some venues take a cut of the profits from their merchandise. It feels like you're being fleeced by, like, a cop. It's so, so
0: strange. Um... And confusing.
2: That's Julia Steiner, an indie musician in the band Rap Boys out of Chicago. She says the merch cuts first came around when some venues opened up to minors and had to stop selling alcohol. So they needed a different way to make money during the show. That idea is really nice
0: and in theory, um, but then venues kind of co-opted that and just used it as a way to like boost their bottom line. If that $100 is truly going to make or break the venue's Um, you know, life, like, staying open or not, then let's find a way to make that $100 built into the agreement beforehand.
2: According to the music website Pitchfork, the reason some venues take a percentage of merchandise sales comes down to taxes. Venues get in trouble if a band doesn't pay the taxes that the state requires. So venues sell the merch to make sure this isn't something that they have to worry about. Michael Horelia is another singer in the New York City-based rock band Blonde Otter. The five-member band formed at Fordham University. Six years later, they're still together and still performing around the city. Michael says playing at gigs gets expensive, but he appreciates the venues that don't take a share of their merch money.
0: You know,
3: there's just a little more good faith with those venues that don't take a cut because it feels like they're really trying to support the independent artist as opposed to uh, capitalize on them.
2: So to combat merch losses, United Musicians and Allied Workers have created a campaign to push back on these cuts. Joey de francesco is a founder of UMaw. He says his movement is still in its first stages, but it's growing.
3: We have musicians reaching out to local venues all over uh, North America to ask them to sign onto a pledge um, that they don't take merch cuts and never will take merch cuts. So. We have around 200 venues who have signed on to this pledge.
2: Leneva Francesco says that the pledge is voluntary, but Yuma wants more venues to do the right thing by artists. And he says that he also hopes fans will stand in solidarity with their favorite musicians.
3: We've already made a lot of good progress, and that's going to mean more money in pockets of artists. It's going to mean cheaper merch for fans who do want to buy that stuff. And it's going to mean, you know, a healthier music ecosystem for workers.
2: Euralia encourages artists to keep talking about the issue to help make the change.
3: It can only help grow the artist more um, without these merch cuts. Um, every bit of income into an independent artist's pocket matters.
2: I reached out to a few of the New York City-based venues who've pledged to the campaign and to those who haven't, but none of them replied to my calls for comments. There's more information on the My Merch campaign at weareumaw.org. I'm Rosie Lenz, WFUV News.
1: That was WFUV's Rosie Lenz talking about merchandise cuts and the My Merch campaign.
0: Over the next few weeks, the WFUV Newsroom is speaking with organizations responding to the opioid epidemic.
1: This week, WFUV's Jay Doherty talks to Jeffrey Golia, Director of Clinical Outreach and Education at the New York Center for Living.
0: They talk about the center's efforts to make opioid and drug addiction recovery simpler and more accessible.
1: So Jeffrey,
3: what is the mission of the New York Center for Living? The mission of the New York Center for Living is to address substance use and mental health disorders in young adults, adolescents, and their families. We do that by providing individual, group, and family therapy, as well as psychiatry that helps young people to engage in treatment um, and address those, those issues. Uh, We are an abstinence-based program, so we do try to enhance our young people's motivation for being sober from substances with the idea that recovery can be a foundation by which they can achieve great things. Can you talk about how you see this work benefiting the New York community? Our program is a benefit to our community insofar that we address two really challenging issues among young people. One is substance use disorders and the other is mental health issues. Uh, We have seen through the pandemic, Uh, and the remote nature of school, uh, as well as the proliferation of substances, including opioids, that this is a real challenge for young people and their families. So we really work hard to address the discrete issue of addiction and mental health issues to young people. At the same time, we provide a lot of education to schools, to parents, and to other stakeholders and supports in the community to raise people's consciousness and awareness around the threats of opioids, as well as the impact on cannabis use on young people, including the high potency THC that is out there right now. Uh, Again, with the goal of promoting not only recovery among young people, but also recovery uh, within the family. And could you share one example of when the New York Center for Living really made an impact on an individual person or group that comes to mind? I can think of so many examples of young people and their families who have entered treatment here at really challenging moments. Moments in which they were using substances, where there was a lot of conflict and strife within the family, where there were challenges in terms of academic performance, extracurriculars kind of falling away, and the notion that a young person in their family presented to treatment here. And those young people really radically reshaped their lives in recovery. They sought abstinence and sobriety from substances. Uh, They engaged in treatment to manage their mental health symptoms and to heal from those to engage in family therapy and family healing so the family could come together and um, be stronger than the sum of its parts. And through our engagement with the 12-step and other recovery communities, uh, they were really able to uh, transform their lives into something much more positive than when they came here. And so, you know, I can't speak about specific examples, but I can say generally, right, as it relates to both the discrete uh, experience of our young people, but also the community that we've created here. Uh, They really are young people and parents supporting each other on this journey of recovery. And finally, how can listeners help the New York Center for Living? Well, as a nonprofit organization, we, you know, do accept donations to support the work we do, particularly the public education work we do, getting out there into schools and into other organizations to raise people's consciousness and awareness about not just our work, but really the issue at hand, right? The education is very much about general, you know, information that can inform and equip people to better manage these uh, issues um, as they uh, come up for them. There is hope here, right? When young people embrace recovery, whether that's substance use recovery, mental health recovery, or both, they're able to create a foundation for their lives, which they can really make incredible things happen. So we really like to say that there's a lot of good news, right? Yes, no one comes to us because things are going great, but in large part, right, uh, we can help young people and their families radically change the trajectory of their
1: life and build that foundation of recovery towards success. That was WFUV's Jay Doherty in conversation with Jeffrey Golia, director of clinical outreach and education at the New York Center for Living.
0: To learn about how you can get involved, visit centerforliving.org. And that's it from us.
1: But you can check out the What's What weekly wrap up every week for more features exclusively from the WFUV newsroom.
0: And make sure to check out the WFUV What's What daily podcast every weekday at 3 for the latest local news and feature stories from FUV.
1: And as always, you can find out more at WFUVnews.org.
0: I'm Christina Lulich.
1: And I'm David Escobar. And that's What's What.